Hello and welcome to Heritage Month on 97.3 CTFM. We're very privileged to have as our guest, Professor Atu Kwesen. We want to talk about history. So you decided to tell a history of Accra using one street. Yes. So the street becomes the focal point yes. for dealing with different issues. Yes. That's a very unusual way for mm. us non-academics mm. of approaching a subject like mm. this. No, it's an unusual way of writing urban studies. It's very it's unusual not just for for lay people. Okay. And it's unusual because most histories of uh, African cities, Accra, Lagos, Nairobi, are really ethno histories. Okay. So the history of the Gans comes to stand in place of the history of the city Accra. And they're very competent and beautifully written histories of Accra. Or, or, sorry, histories of the Gans, which stand in as histories of Accra. Mm-hmm. But Accra transcends the Gans. But one one distinction I I did I did draw on on ethno history. There's no question. But one of the distinctions I tried to establish is that I wanted to take account of the spatial history of Accra. That is, Accra as an urban space. What's the relationship between Tudu and Makola? Uh-huh. What's the relationship between Kaneshi and Nima? Well, and the relationship is not just that they, they, they are situated inside the city, but that there is a certain ebb and flow because each neighborhood is a concentration of social forces. Mm. So I, I look at the spatial logic now, what I then did is that I used Oxford Street as uh, I embedded. So, at one level, it's Oxford Street as we see it today. But at another level, I embedded Oxford Street inside various spatial vectors. So, the relation between Oxford Street and Cantonment Road, and Oxford Street and uh, Makola, and Oxford Street and High Street, and so on. And you contrasted even, for example, how that haggling at Makola is different from that of Oxford Street. And also Akramol. Mm. Mm, I can talk about So, yeah. it becomes like the sounding board for testing various... Various. That's why I call the urban key. That's an unusual way of going about stuff. But... Even before, again, we go into some chronological history. Mm-hmm. One thing that jumped out at me was that Oxford Street is a place of contrast. Yes. So modernity versus very traditional, yes. ancient ways of doing yeah. things. Globalization versus local ways yes. of doing things. Affluence and poverty. Yeah. It, 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 it comes across from your book that yeah. there's a sense in which there are so many contrasts at various levels. Exactly. Let's start. Let's, uh, let me talk, talk of two different kinds of contracts. Contrast. One is the uh, spatial contrast between wealth and poverty, both of which can be found on Oxford Street. It's very paradoxical. And the second is the, the shopping uh, experience between shopping on the street and shopping inside the shops. In terms of the spatial contrast, what most people don't know is that Oxford Street actually, even though it's such a wealthy-looking place, the Oxford Street proper is actually a facade hiding a lot of uh, poverty. Now, in 1940, that's after there was a big earthquake in Accra in 1939, and uh, colonial urban planning, part of the drive be- behind colonial urban planning was to deal with uh, urban uh, epidemics, mm-hmm. disease epidemics and, and uh, natural disasters. Like the bubonic plague in 1908. Eight, uh, mm-hmm. The yellow fever in 1911. Mm-hmm. These uh, generated Adabraka and uh, the Collegon and so on. Now, one of the effects of the the uh, the earthquake, the earthquake Mm -hmm. planning effect of the earthquake was that they had to evacuate and rehouse the people who had been dispossessed. One of the places that they 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 bought one of the lands that they took 
to build at the time they called low-cost housing was uh, the space between today's Barclays Bank and roughly Papaye. In 1940, that area was called Ngano, which in Ngano, Ngano which means bush. In other words, nothing was, it was bush. Uh, and they built, uh, but typically low-cost houses were houses that had large compounds. But the, uh, the thing that the low-cost houses at Osu and Kaneshi and Mamprobi and Choko, all places that the colonial uh, administration laid down houses, was one that the toilets were outside the house. Ooh. Unlike Ringway Estates okay. or, or Little, even Ridge or Ridge at, even Adabraka. Adabraka, where the houses are inside. Mm. These low-cost houses, the houses are outside. Secondly, the large compounds are designed, and this was the principle, are designed to accommodate a non-nuclear family structure. So whereas Ringway, it was designed in 1920s to accommodate a man, his wife, and a nuclear family, these houses were, they thought that the natives preferred to have their families with them. So they gave them space to extend, expansion. What then happened is that in all the areas of low-cost housing, whether we are looking at Adabraka, not Adabraka, Choko, Mamprobi, and Osu, the expansion became a source of uh, rental revenue. Mm -hmm. So that part of Osu is highly rental. Okay. The, sec the second thing is that it, ha it, it suffers one of the highest population densities in all Accra. And the way to understand is that a typical household at uh, Ringway Estate, it's four persons to a toilet. Whereas uh, at Osu, this area that I'm talking about, is 18 persons to a toilet. So, in fact, what we see is that Oxford Street is, is, is a cover for what is really a warren, a warren, a rental warren of poverty and bad sanitation and so on. But the, the structure of Oxford Street with all the shops covers this over and we do not see it. So this is the one, one special contrast. Special contrast. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, in terms of the uh, shopping, shopping. shopping experience, mm -hmm. there's a vast difference between shopping on the street and shopping, entering any of the shops. True. But the shopping on the street is defined by a sense of the carnivalesque. It's like you are going to a carnival. But the carnivalesque character of shopping on the street comes partly from the fact that when you're walking on Oxford Street, you have to zigzag a lot. There are many reasons for this. One is uh, the, the evanescent character of the street walk. The, not, not the street walk, the sidewalk. Uh, and are, the sidewalk is, has been colonized in many parts by uh, goods spilling out from the big stores. Mm -hmm. So uh, now they have shop right, but before it was Quatsons. Quatsons had bicycles on the streets, mm -hmm. uh, on, the, on the sidewalk. The other thing that has colonized the sidewalk is parking. True. So Ecobank has has colonized the street, the the sidewalk for for its cars. Barclays Bank also. Everyone wants park, but what they do is that they typically colonize the street, the sidewalk. So walking becomes you have to zigzag. You have to negotiate. You you step on and off the pavement or pavement, and also you have to negotiate among a, a dense population of other pedestrians and negotiate also vehicles, uh, wheelbarrows, and so on. And apart from that, there's a lot of attention diversion. 
because people are always trying to sell you something. Oh, umbe to umbe to me me share tea. Oh, Ghana, oh Ghana, they sell lots of uh, Ghana uh, black star paraphernalia and so on. So the shopping on Oxford Street becomes a carnivalesque event, but predominantly also because on on the street you can haggle. Okay. Now there's a huge difference with between the experience of haggling on that street and entering a, sh- a store, whichever store you you want to 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 mention, mm-hmm. and that is because haggling is completely disallowed inside the store because of the presence of the price tag. True. When you go and see a price tag which says two hundred Ghana, you don't say Charlie Tisumami. You have to Charlie Tisumami, or you say Unim. Memma of 50. Next week, my memma of 50. You cannot say that. So that the... But in combination, so rather than see them as separate, you have to see them as in combination, a configuration of the shopping experience because Mm. the presence of the carnivalesque experience sits cheek by jowl with the presence of the price tag experience. This is quite different from, say, Accra Mall, where when you enter, you cannot even see the sky. And where everything has uh, price a price tag. tag. And this is from Makola as well. Makola. Where everything can be negotiated. Uh, whether it's inside the store or outside. <laughs> so yeah. that's another contrast. But even in the social interactions, you s- I mean, very graphic examples of the language people use, mm-hmm. people's interaction with taxi drivers, mm-hmm. and in this zigzag walk mm-hmm. and the precarious nature of movement, mm-hmm. how people who use the road mm-hmm. interact with people who are pedestrians. Mm. Talk a bit about that. Okay, well, what happens with the zigzag nature, the evanescent character of the pavement and so on, and the fact that the the roadway itself, where the cars actually traverse, mm-hmm. is not um, uh, owned by the vehicles. Because pedestrians, somebody, his, him, his son and a goat will cross in front of you and so on. This, this is common not just to Oxford Street but across. What happens is that the rules of road usage and the courtesies of road usage often become points of contention. True. And one anecdote, I have several anecdotes, one that I have in the car is a taxi driver is speeding down and he comes toward a zebra crossing and he doesn't stop for the people on the zebra crossing to cross. And he's almost running into them. They jump back, and as he speaks of the insulting, he also turns and insults them. Now, <laughs> to wit, you are as dirty as a cat which has fallen into, into fire. fire. Now, he's, uh, to all intents and purposes, he's broken the law, the okay. rules. But what he's telling them that is that the fact that you have seen a zebra crossing in New York and Tokyo and Toronto. Doesn't mean that the way to negotiate a zebra crossing in Accra is the same. Mm-hmm. Don't be deceived. In Accra, you have to have a particular skill of anticipating doubt. True, true. You have to anticipate doubt. This this uh, taxi driver, the way he's, he's not slowing down, is he going to slow down for me or not? You cannot assume that he's going to slow down when mm. he gets there. Mm. More importantly, the insult that he throws at, out is also testing a particular kind of cultural code. Mm. Because on Accra Street, Everything can become a spectator sport mm. in the sense that, but the rules of engagement require you to trade an insult back that will, is not just a humiliate the person you are quarreling with, but will draw laughter. Of course. So he said, is also because they loved even as they, he, he was insulting exactly. them. Exactly. So in other words, they say a character of uh, a certain, shall we say, 
know-how mm. about the mm. conduct of of performance mm. on the street, mm. which is not governed exclusively by the explicit rules of, let's just say, zebra crossing Absolutely. in this instance. Absolutely. And then just another constra- contrast I noticed in the book, you talk about, so you can get fresh fish being sold, somebody selling bags, somebody mm. selling mobile phone chips, somebody mm. selling jewelry, all within the same strip. You know, it's and you give like the analogy as well. In many ways, it's a story of who we are as Ghana mm-hmm. and the fact that there are different levels of people operating mm-hmm. on the same street. Well, what we find on Oxford Street, and this is not exclusive to Oxford Street, is that uh, anything apart from the fact that anything can happen, you can get almost anything to buy. You can you can do all your shopping for fufu that evening from the comfort of your car. You buy fresh fish uh, uh, snapper, which some boys sell. Uh, you get cassava that is being hogged. You get charcoal. You get your kobe. If you want just the head, they'll give it to you. Uh, you get all that. But and this is because of um, the character of street life also involves a lot of uh, commerce, of, mm. of buying and selling, of mm. hawking. Mm. Uh, and you can negotiate these things as you buy off the streets. But one of the fascinating, more fascinating things is that, apart from, because all the things that I've mentioned are food, food stuff, groceries. But in fact, there are also other manufactured, uh, you know, dog chains, we know, dog mm-hmm. chain boys. But you can also get uh, vibrators. Uh, once someone poked Something a, a live, yeah, as, as a vibrator, li- I, I, he, he switched it on and was putting under my nose to, to buy. <laughs> Uh, you can get it. You can get Time Magazine. So from Time Magazine to a vibrator, Inc- you can get. Incredible. So uh, Oxford Street, and um, the name actually you said was Cantonment Road. It is, still is. Uh, how did you get the Monica Oxford Street? First of all, you must understand that the, the Monica Oxford Street does not appear on any official maps of Accra to this day. Still? It doesn't appear. Okay. It's, it's so even on Google Maps, it's, it's, it's no on Google Maps you find Oxford. You know Google people are bad, <laughs> but it's actually <laughs> it's, it doesn't exist in official maps. It's if Cantonment Road, country, town and country planning. Say, show me a map of Accra. Where's Oxford? Street? It no, doesn't it exist. It doesn't exist. Okay. <laughs> okay. okay. Now the the Monica Oxford Street. To understand it, we have to go. And this is partly speculation. It's, there's no direct proof, but I've I've uh, assembled it from various uh, sources and interviews. In 1989. Mm-hmm. Uh, just before Rawlings uh, democratizes, mm-hmm. he, one of the things that he is urged to do is to uh, into amnesty. There's mm-hmm. political amnesty for all political refugees. Mm-hmm. And this takes place before the 1992 elections. Mm-hmm. So many people come back home. Mm-hmm. Uh, who had been hiding away for the previous 20 years. Mm. Now, many of the returnees uh, return from London. Mm. But when they come, they find that the Oxford Street Corridor is a very lively neighborhood, but commercially is not is nowhere near what it is today. But that, that corridor had always been noted for nightlife. Yes. So, for example, uh, a long time ago, we had KTK. KTK was under under was the first floor of uh, Citizen Coffee. The original Citizen Coffee. There are two Citizen Coffees. The one in Osu. The one in Osu. Okay. Yeah, the bottom floor was a disco. It was called KTK. Citizen <laughs> <laughs> Coffee bottom. Uh, Black Caesars. Today, say I don't know what the name. I say Matumba. Mm-hmm. Uh, Black Caesars was also um, had the first uh, gay bar in Accra. Yes. 
black scissors those days if a if gay bar. yes if you were somebody anybody who was somebody went to hang out at black scissors um oh. This is awesome. Yes, so so the the Osu area was well noted as the uh, hedonistic capital of Accra. The prostitution was also rife there. It still is. Uh, anything that you wanted, you could for, for pleasure and leisure, you could find that at uh, Oxford Street or, or Osu Ari. It was Ari at the time. So when the the refu- the returning political. Uh, uh, forgiven political p- people came. Mm-hmm. They started y- saying that this place should be called Oxford Street, or they started using the term Oxford Street because it reminded them of the Oxford Street in London. Ex- but they, also, they say the odd thing is that the Oxford Street in London is noted for shopping. The Oxford Street Accra is noted for pleasure and food more than sh- yeah, the shopping. In London is more clothes, fashion, yeah, but here yeah. is more fast food, food and pleasure. Mm. There is still shopping, but. People don't go to anyone that knows what uh, if they, they know they are left from their right, won't go and buy anything from Oxford mm. Street, they'll go to Makola. Mm. But so that's how the name then began to, to circulate. But however, at the same time, another name was contesting with Oxford Street to name that area, and that was Johannesburg. Oh, so some people at Carnation and someone used to refer to that, that area as Joburg. And the reason why they refer to it as Joburg is that it was full of Azar people. Wagadri. <laughs> it was so assigned oh, Wagadri people, Lord. but uh, Oxford Street took over. Otherwise, today to be called Joburg. This is incredible. We're very privileged to have as our guest, Professor Atu Kwesen. So by the time Accra became the capital in 1877, I'm told, of course, it was Cape Coast, mm. but there were too many com- problems with, Problem. with, with also, Cape Coast. Also sanitation, mosquitoes chased them away from there. So in 1877, when Accra became the capital... How was Accra? What kind of people were living here? And what was the extent okay, of the place? In 18... Uh, there's an account that is given by um, uh, Henry Morton Stanley, okay. who is associated with David Livingston. He was the one who went to find David Livingston when David Livingston was lost in the <laughs> Central Africa. Okay. Mr. Livingston, I suppose. The same man. But he's also noted to have uh, uh, worked for King Leopold... Oh. First, he's the one who got the Congo for King Leopold. The, same, the Belgian, yeah, our yeah. same. So this Morgan Stanley, he was a man about town. Morton Stanley, Morton Henry Morton Stanley. Because Morgan Stanley is a bank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Henry Morton Morton Stanley. Now there's a description uh, Henry Morton Stanley gives of uh, arriving on the coast of Accra mm-hmm. from a ship in okay. 1874. And that description is uh, historians refer to it all the time to give get a sense of the topography. Mm. Uh, he talks about the lighthouse. Mm-hmm. He talks about um, uh, three clusters, three settlement clusters, and the settlement clusters are clearly the settlement clusters around the the Dutch, the English, and the and the Danish. Danish. Uh, he also mentions the Basel Mission House. He mentions two Basel Mission Houses. Now, this overall topography was to remain the same until roughly uh, 1903. Because Labadi was far out. Typically, when they were talking about Accra, they didn't think about Labadi. It extended only to Osu. But even at 1903, Accra was diversifying residentially because of uh, the building of Victoria Borg. In 1898, Governor Nathan decided that uh, white people should no longer live amongst 
the natives. For the previous 300, 350 years, the white merchants lived among the native populations in Gamashi. In fact, some of the houses are there to this day. You can find them because they have dates typically. But in 1898, on the onset of formal colonialism, he felt that the, the colonial master had to be separated from the native populations. And so he built Victoria Borg. Victoria Borg stretches, I may have mentioned this already, stretches from roughly today's uh, national lotteries to just the tip of uh, Black Star Square, looking toward the sea. So not toward the ministry side, but toward the sea. And that area was the first white residential neighborhood. It had tennis courts. They had a tennis, very active tennis club at the time. It had uh, very nice houses, those houses that stand on, on, uh, on legs. Yeah, you find them at Ridge also. Stilts. The stilts, the, you know, the stilts, stilted houses. Uh, they had a club. They had a clubhouse and so on. So that stretch was the first diversified okay. neighborhood, or the first diversification mm. was for what they call Victoria Borg. Mm. But after Victoria Borg came Ridge. Mm-hmm. But if, in fact, if you stand at Victoria Borg or let us say Ministries, and you look to the northeast in a kind of large V, mm-hmm. and you incorporate uh, Ringway, you incorporate uh, Ridge up to North Ridge, you now you come to cantonments, and you incorporate Laboni, Nyaniba is a little bit off, but you also link up with uh, uh, Kanda, mm-hmm. uh, you take cantonment itself, the settlement of cantonment, and then trace it up to airport. That represents a privileged corridor much sought after by the ruling elites in the satellites since the colonial period. To this day... To this date? Yes. The ruling elite is a, a corridor of privilege and power. How come? It, yeah, it's, it's a corridor of privilege and power because originally those were the privileged neighborhoods of the white civil servants. Ridge, remember, was a European-only neighborhood. Then cross over to cantonments. Cantonments start a bit earlier, but it's developed already. Uh, we've already seen the Cuckoo Hill and and uh, and Salem. Salem were already, you know, very posh neighborhoods. Mm. Going up to Kanda, Kanda also develops as a civil so center. It's, it's a V, but the point of the V is Victoria Borg. Mm, which is the beginning. There's a beginning of residential diversification. Amazing. It's Victoria Borg. But there are actually two, as it were, um, special hubs. Mm. Because if you take Gamashi and the Pabo mm-hmm. as the, the, the hub from which Accra evolves radially, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it gradually evolves, you get a different architectural and social character from if you take the uh, Victoria Borg the Victoria Borg hub the v. that V is the V of privilege and power <laughs> the other V is uh, as uh, original sofa heads <laughs> <laughs> amazing stuff amazing stuff amazing stuff Accra today is different we talk about Dodoa even becoming Accra I live somewhere in Adenta and I consider myself living in Accra and you talk to us about the V from, from um, what's the name of this this point? Victoria Borg. Victoria Borg. I mean, 
when you come back to Ghana and you see Accra mm-hmm. and you see how it's changed, the N1 road mm-hmm. and all the things. I mean, what what I mean, look at the shopping mall mm-hmm. and then Spintex. What how sense do you change? get? Okay, several things. There are many things that happen in Accra. First is that outlying areas, satellite areas of Accra, have progressively been converted into dormitory townships. Medina, Adenta, Ashaiman, Bawe, uh, even Kaswa. Even up to the 1980s, it would be very, very hard for you to get regular trotro from, say, Kaswa to Accra. Trotro would not come. Even Taifa. Taifa, which is, you know, inside the city, it was very, very rare. Those were outlying, and I use that word outlying uh, deliberately. They were outlying, they were considered distant. However, with the development of the road network, you can get trotro from anywhere to anywhere. So now it's not uncommon for people even to live at Ebri and commute to Accra. But what has happened is that these originally outlying areas have become dormitory satellites of the main event. So there, uh, there has not been enough evolution, for example, of the bureaucratic state apparatus. If you need anything from government, you still have to go to central Accra. <laughs> uh, you still have to go to the, the central... Yeah, you still have to go to ministries. So this is exerting a pool, which is both... It's First of all, all these outlying uh, uh, districts are being forced to connect to, to central Accra in a variety of ways. But it's also distorting the nature of uh, social life. Because on the one hand, many of these areas have their own... You know, social drinking character, sports. drinking sports, very fine, asanka as, as, uh, locals and so on, very fine food to be had. And yet, the commercial and governmental business forces them to always migrate to the city center. So the social life is gradually being uh, uh, severed from the commercial and governmental life. It's formed a kind of distortion. So their modes of integration as satellites are distorted forms because they, that's why I call them dormitories. <laughs> so Kaswa, Kaswa is, a, is a classic dormitory town. Kaswa, Kaswa, is the, Kaswa is the best example. There are many Taifa, Ashima is, is dormitory. Ashima is more dormitory to Tema. Tema. Uh, but they are all dormitory towns. But Taifa, Gbagbo, uh, all these are dormitory towns. But Kaswa is the most fascinating because Kaswa was originally to be uh, either there was a big uh, WHO uh, funding, not WHO, um, uh, IMF, to develop uh, something like Dansuman Estates. But they tested the soil and apparently it was concluded that the soil could not withhold, could not hold the scale that they. So the project was abandoned. But because the, it had been on the table already, people started buying and building willy-nilly. Remember, there was a big market there too, and Kaswa and people began. To, and once the wager to Winnibar Road was was uh, done, it became easy to get in and out of Accra. Kaswa is a, the, a very very fascinating dormitory town, and it's it's a mode of incorporation. It's quite different from say Taifa. But it's it's a dormitory town. It has its own sport. It has its own uh, Asanka locals and so on. But to live there is to be forced always to commute into town. That's the the key thing that this enables those townships from becoming autonomous townships. It's because it's, they have to come back have to, to come the center. Town, whether they like it or yes. One of your chapters, you refer to gymming and salsa music. Mm-hmm. And you, you very graciously 
give CTFM credit? <laughs> now this, of course, is a self-interested question. Self-serving question. Now, uh, salsa had been part of ballroom dancing in the 1960s. In those days, when people went ballroom dances, they used to dress up. Mm. Uh, high life and you know there was tango and salsa was was part of it but it wasn't uh, a popular dance form it was mainly for the elites especially the political elites salsa the root of salsa into Accra is is not clear some people said a cuban a set of cuban doctors during uh, rollins's period rollins had good uh, connection with cuba and they came and they started you know dancing salsa because that's the but salsa kicks in properly in the way we know it now in the late 1990s well 97 between 97 and 99 there's a, a cohort of uh, foreign workers you know mm-hmm. from different parts of so development uh, ngo workers from um, from the uk and some americans and so on and one of them starts um, you know teaching salsa in her house Okay. But salsa at the time might be described as, or was was what might be described as a cottage industry. It was just friends meeting to dance. It was expanding very slowly. In 2005, um, CTFM had been set up, and they wanted to find a way to compete. And uh, internally, someone suggested that uh, why don't they take salsa is coming up, and there's a long in the chapter I show, and so. And, and this enterprising uh, person somehow persuades the, the corporation, the radio station, to support salsa as the, the youth, youth, emblematic, emblematic youth leisure activity. That would distinguish them. But they go further than that. They set up a, a radio program on Wednesday uh, evenings. I think it's uh, 7 30 to 10. You have your facts right. 7.30 to 10. But then they go even further. They they enter an agreement with Coconut Grove to have salsa. So the salsa dancing that is had at Coconut Grove is broadcast live. That is the... It completely revolutionizes salsa in Accra. At the same time, salsa is being taught by... Motowners and so on to school kids at you know Morning Star Motown and so on who are trying to find uh, they, they have a, a variety show and these guys are teaching these kids salsa and they are really liking it. This all comes together as a confluence, and I talk about it in the chapter with the City FM's adoption. So the history of salsa in Accra and indeed Ghana cannot be written without City FM. <laughs> and that's it for another edition of Heritage Month, which looked at Accra, the capital, 